Hi, I'm Jeremy Robinson and this is the 19th hole. I'm Jeremy Robinson and welcome to the 19th hole Black Star Golf podcast presented by Glal.uk. As I mentioned previously, through my years of being involved in golf, I've met some great people. So far during the podcast, we've had quite a laugh with our guests discussing the ups and downs of golf. And I'm sure today will be no different. So today I'm delighted to welcome one of my long-term friends. And this guy really is a long-term friend from the amateur days as well, Steve Richardson. Steve's an ex-Rider Cup player and a three-time winner on the DP World Tour. Steve, just back from Mauritius in some lovely weather and rain and typhoons and everything. How are you doing, mate? I'm very good, J-Rob. Good to see you, buddy. Yeah, yeah, it was an absolute nightmare, Mauritius. Brilliant tournament. It was ruined by the weather. We got absolutely washed out and everything. It was unreal. And how many holes did you actually play? I managed to play 12 holes, but I probably went on and off the course about six or seven times. So quite tiring. So I, got, I got soaked every single time. I was running out of socks and tops <laughs> and everything. Trying to dry them was an absolute nightmare. So quite tiring for you playing 12 holes in three days then? Yeah, yeah. With my fitness level, that was quite a lot. Yeah, I'm starting to worry. The three rounds is obviously getting quite stressful these days. <laughs> as you know, buddy. Yeah, no, no, I know exactly. Yeah, so there you go. So anyway, as I mentioned, uh, you know, you're a DP World Tour player, and a fantastic golfer, three-time winner on the uh, DP World Tour and played in the famous Ryder Cup in 1991, the war on the shore at Kiwa Island. But just going back uh, previous to when you turned pro in 1989, I've asked the other boys, really, how did you get into golf? I know your dad Your dad was a pro, wasn't he? Exactly right. Yeah, I started playing when I was about seven years old, but obviously he used to give me a club when I was a tiny little boy, you know, gripping, cack-handed, all that sort of stuff. Yeah. And then I was seven, I joined the club down at Leon the Solent, um, and I, I used to play a bit, but I used to love other sports as well, like football, rugby, table tennis. And then by the time I got to about 10, 11, 12, it, golf took over. I packed in the other sports and became obsessed with golf. But it was totally down to my father. He got me into golf as a golf pro and he coached me for sort of my whole career till I was about 30, 30 32, 33 sort of thing. And was he the pro at Leon Solent? Yeah, he was a pro there for 35 years, my dad. Oh, wow. Yeah, so he, uh, he was a good player. He came 13th in the Open, my dad, really? in, 19, in 1970. Yeah, he played in the Open twice. Wow, where was, so that, was one, that was one record I didn't manage to beat was the old boys' um, 13th in the Open. I didn't realise that. Where was that played at then? Uh, that was St Andrews when um, Jack Nicholas, Doug Sanders had a playoff. Oh, wow, that was that's something going. I didn't know that. You learn something new yeah. every day. Yeah, yeah, he was a good player. A better swing than me, but he, just, he, he had a, a fairly tough upbringing, one of seven, plasterer. Yeah. And then turned pro when he was 25. He's like, he got down to scratch with no coaching. Right. right. But he, I wish I had my dad's swing, really. He, he taught me the Jack Nicholas, Johnny Miller swing, nice and upright, weak grip, all that sort of stuff. I modified it myself, but yeah. that was the way to swing back then, wasn't it, in the, in yeah. the 70s and everything when we were growing up? Yeah, yeah, no, absolutely. So, so just going back onto the amateur career, I mean, I remember playing um, loads of amateur tournaments with you, playing in the Berkshire, and it was back to the days of the wooden drivers, wasn't it? That's how long yeah. ago we're talking. But in 1989, you won the, uh, you won the English amateur at Royal St George's. Beating a friend of ours, one of your local compatriots, Bobby. Oh, Bobby, yeah, he's great. Yeah, in the morning, I went around in 64. Wow. Opened up, I opened up in the final, birdie, birdie, birdie. Yeah. And I went around in 64, he went around in 67. So I was only like three up at lunchtime. He reeled me in, but I was back, back to one up with two to go. So he played amazingly well. 
Yeah. I couldn't play any better. I was starting to bottle it a little bit. Yeah. And we got to 17th, hit it on the back of the green. I played the whole awful. I got it up there for two to about, for three to about 15 foot. Hit this part. I don't know how it went in. You know, one of those hit it and it just goes straight in the middle. And he missed a yarder from the beaten two and one. Right. I was on the way out. He sort of had me, really. Yeah. So it was a hell of a match then. That standard was, sounds like it's fantastic. Yeah, it was unbelievable in the morning. Yeah, we obviously got perfect weather at Royal St George's, which helps. Obviously, it's a super tough course. Yeah. But I, could, I couldn't play any better. You know, it turned out birdie, birdie, birdie in the final was unbelievable as well. Yeah, we got on the we got on the um, fourth tee, and Bobby went to me. That's one hundred and eighty, mate. <laughs> <laughs> we just smiled. It was good though. Yeah, he beat me in the county championship finals when I was about eighteen at a place called Stoneham near Southampton. Yeah, so I got a bit of pay, got a bit of payback on him. Beat me up the last. I missed about a four foot part. He did the reverse of what I did to him on the seventeenth. So you played county golf with him then for Hampshire, did you? Yeah, and played in the England team mm. with Bob because Bobby was a top player. I think he won the Brabazon. He, he played he played with you in the Walker Cup. He didn't did, he? yeah, as he well. Played, yeah, he played in the 1987 Walker Cup at Sunningdale. Yeah, I was playing. Yeah. Yeah. I remember watching on TV. You and John McHenry playing great stuff and winning That's, your match. Yeah, we got a bit of a bounce in mind, didn't we, from their team? We did. Yeah, we got uh, 16, eight or something like that. They they had a, they had a pretty good team, and uh, yeah, we just got uh, it was in the days when uh, we just got kind of duffed up by them, really. I, I yeah. won two out of four, I might add, but yeah, um, that's cool, so mate. Yeah, you must be proud of that, aren't you? Yeah, no, no, it was good. So it was good. So just yeah. moving on to that, then. So you won the walk, uh, won the English Championship in '89, and okay, lost the plough for the Lidham. I played, I played in the Lidham. I lost a guy called Neil Williamson. Yeah, and they tried the, you know, the open playoff they've got now. They tried it out at the Lidham. So I think it was a four-hole playoff we had, I presume. Right. Yeah. 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 And um, he he opened up birdie par birdie, and I opened up something like bogey par bogey. So he absolutely hammered me in the playoffs. Yeah, yeah, so yeah, that yeah. year I should I should have had a great chance getting the Walker Cup. You know, well, that second, was yeah, second in the rhythm, won the English amateur. I'd obviously upset someone or someone <laughs> along the line and, and messed it up. But never mind. Yeah, I mean that was going to be. Uh, my Sorry, yeah, go, go on. on no, go on. Yeah, but having said that, obviously the Walker Cup at that time is massive, isn't it? It's the greatest thing you can play in as an amateur. Mm. I was going to say that was going to be on my next question. So if you'd run the English amateur and obviously done well in the Lytham, et cetera, et cetera, you know, you must have been unlucky not to have got in the Walker Cup team. Yeah, I think I had a top 10 in the Brab as well. And I was a current England player, but also I didn't get selected for the six-man team. Um, uh, what's it called? The European Championship. So once yeah. you're not in that, you're pretty much not going to get in the Walker Cup. Yeah. And that was I, don't, more... I don't know how I didn't get selected for that, but it's just one of those things. Yeah, well, it was a bit different. The, the, there was no world rankings for amateurs or anything like that in those days. No, it was a bit. They, they do need that. I think it's, it should be runoff and order of merit, shouldn't it? Results based, and with with two picks rather than everybody getting picked. You know, it's a bit like the Ryder Cup. Well, I think it's even more political with it used to be in the Walker Cup. Because obviously there was the uh, there was the English, the Scottish, the Irish, yeah. the Welsh, and they all wanted each selector. There were four selectors, I think. Each wanted as many in as they could from their own country, which was fair enough. But uh, it did but, get a bit. You know, if we if we did it, J. Rob, we'd, we'd surely we'd do it on merit of players, wouldn't we? Well, that would. That With would what be we the... think are the best players, I wouldn't do it on nationalities. If it's if it's twelve Welshmen or twelve Scotsmen or twelve Englishmen, I would, I would select what I thought were the best players. I know, obviously, it's it's difficult to because each everyone plays in their own national championships, don't they? Mm. That that would be the common sense way to do it, but I think back in those days there wasn't a lot of yeah, lot, no, sure, it's it more old school, wasn't it? Yeah, yeah, there wasn't. So I think it's a bit better now. So, but anyway, 
in the end of the day, the Walker Cup, you know, when you when you uh, when you're younger, it didn't make a lot of difference. It's nice personally for me to look back on it now and say that I played in it. You know, it was it was good fun. So, but moving on, so you, you turned pro in uh, 1989, and the, the transition for you from being an amateur to being a pro clearly wasn't that hard. Because in 1990, you know, you cracked on already and finished. I got it 29th in the order of merit. Yeah, it was um, 19, 1989, where I, when I won the English Amateur, I got so confident, I worked so hard on my game, and I, I knew I hit the ball fantastic. And I got, I sort of scraped through the tour school at Le Manga, got 36 spot, didn't play my best. And then I got, I got on the tour, I just felt super confident, really. And, and I went out there and I thought, well, I hit the ball better than most of these guys. I remember playing in my first tour event, which was a stellar in Portugal. And now uh, I played. I uh, played with Sam Torrance and Des Smythe in the third round. And bearing in mind, fantastic golfers, you know, some of the best we've ever had. Yeah. And uh, I came eighth in that one shot out of the playoffs. They had a seven-man playoff, so I came I eighth. Yeah. Yeah. And I went home and I spoke to my dad. I said, Dad, I'm a better player than Sam Torrance. Des Smythe. He went, Hang on a minute, son. You know, he's sort of drawing me back a bit. But that was my mindset then. Yeah. You know, I used to have such a vivid, excited, adrenaline mind with a calm body. Mm. You know, I could swing smooth, I could do what I wanted, but my mind was so like fireworks, pizzazz, excitement, that sort of stuff. Mm. And I used to just think, oh, I'm unbelievable. You know, I'm an amazing player. I'm good. I'm meant to be here. This is, this is a great life. And I was enjoying the travel, going to Dubai, mm. meeting all, all, you know, meeting all our great players, you know, our top five players, all these sort of guys. You know, it was just a wonderful, amazing experience. You start living your dreams for a little while and it doesn't get any better than that. No, no. I mean, well, Linny was saying the other day about, you know, how, how he works um, hard on being mentally positive all the time, you know, and, that, and he felt that took him a long way. And it sounds like the same kind of thing for you. You were obviously riding yeah. away for confidence. Yeah. Well, you learn it all, all, you learn from your mistakes as much as anything. You know, the things that go wrong, the bad yeah. things. And It's interesting. You, you know, even, even losing to you in, in, in um, 91 at the Kenyan Open. I learned from well, that. I thought, you know, I'm going, that's going to spur me on. So so de- I, think I, lo- I think you won it because I was so desperate to beat you. And that, but you can't be like that. You've got to play, as we know, one shot at a time. Play yeah, the course, worry. not hey, the man. Don't worry about that. That's the next question. We're going we're gonna to look <laughs> at that one in detail. <laughs> so, but yeah, just, yeah. Just, just going back to uh, what you were saying about, you know, you felt you were better and everything. And that, you know, I'm, I'm not just saying it, but you never really portrayed that to everybody else. You, you, weren't, you didn't come across as arrogant or anything. That must have been the no. inner belief, was it? Yeah, it was inside, yeah. Because I remember the, Steve Davis was doing a thing. He used to talk to himself in the mirror and tell himself how great he was, how wonderful, you know, what a brilliant snooker player. Mm. So I started doing stuff like that, you know. Um, I'm mm. trying to think what he called call it, NLP, basically, wouldn't you? Things like that. Yeah. I was just... Um, but it used to excite me. And I used to think I hit the ball so good. I didn't play with anyone at that point who hit the ball better than me. And my logic was I can hit the ball better than you. I putt okay. I'm okay at chipping back in those days. I thought, well... How can they beat me? That was my mindset. Mm-hmm. It's interesting. So, but, I, mean, but I, was were... very, I was very excited about playing all the time. I'd be really nervous, really excited, and I'd turn it into good adrenaline and then just have, feel really calm when I came to swing and hit the ball. Yeah, well, I mean, you were a great striker of the ball back in the, well, still are. Yeah, early great, on, yeah. You know, when you, years, yeah. Especially when yeah. it was wooden drivers and yeah. butter knife irons. I mean, there was you yeah. and... You and, an, uh, you and Mark Davis, I felt, of the amateur kind of way, you know, the striking of the ball was a different league to a lot of people. 
Yeah, um, Mark had an amazing swing, didn't he? In fact, a big upright, turned off it, hit it miles, didn't he? He's not a big guy, but had so much power. But I didn't realise the shots gained with power is such an advantage when they're getting on the par fives, reaching some of the short par fours. Yeah. And that's a massive advantage in golf. As, as they're portraying now, the boys are just massive power, great short games, aren't they? A lot of them. Well, that's what I was going to say. In, in those days, we, the way we were taught really was to uh, hit the ball straight, worry about how far it went later. Now it's yeah. the ball as far as you can and worry about hitting it straight, yeah. later, isn't it? It's a well, I, I started, I think, from probably about 10 till early 30s. I, if I got a driver out, I hit it as hard as I could. Mm. We, I never, there was none of this three-fingered swing it smooth. It was, I hit it, it's just smashed it, pick a target and smash it, and away it went. That's what I did. <laughs> Which was unusual, but not everybody felt the same, did they? A lot, a lot of people were... No, you know, I, I, I overcome a lot of nerves with an aggressive attitude, yeah. attack. Yeah. I'm going to go for this. I'm going to reach the hole with the putts. Yeah. You know, I was as nervous as anyone and felt uncomfortable, but I just put this aggressive attitude onto it all the time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it, it stood me in good stead for about four, four years until I lost my technique a bit. Mm, no, no, well, it did. So, so just so moving on to what we were going to discuss at length, not too much at length from your point of view, but from my point of view, I want to talk about it forever. But the 1991 Kenyan Open, you must have learned a lot. Oh, I did, I, I did because um, one, I wanted to, because, you know, when we're amateurs, you're a better amateur than me. And I looked up to you and admired you and also wanted to beat you. And I thought, well, I'm going to smash J-Rob up today. <laughs> and I remember, I think you hold a really good putt in the first and I three stabbed and it just went right, three putted and it just went wrong from there. You know, things didn't go right. And you played brilliantly, but I was still in it. And I went and drove it in that bunker at 17. Yeah. And thinned it, thinned it out of bounds. I was going to come second, came about fifth or sixth. So that was, that was yeah. um, rubbing salt into the wounds even more, wasn't it? But you, you played brilliantly that day and rightfully so you won, didn't you? Well, I, I remember being one ahead and you, as you rightly say, I remember it well. I hit an iron and you hit a drive into the front trap and you thinned it into that bloke's garden. He's probably still got the ball now. Yeah. <laughs> it's got a smile in it. The ball's yeah. oh, yeah. soft. Oh, yeah, it had a big hole in it, trust me, when it went yeah. over the green. Yeah, oh, yeah, yeah. But anyway... Didn't bounce in there, it flew in his thing, it landed in his pond or his barbecue, didn't it? Oh, with that... Right right in there. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> we weren't looking for the ball, anyway. No. I, and, no. I wasn't, and I wasn't laughing, either. <laughs> so, but, uh, but moving on from that, so that, that was at the beginning of 91 in the Kenyan Open, and then, and then the, uh, the tour started pretty much straight away. And... and Following on from your success in 1990, what a year you had in 91. I'm going to read it out. You played something like 40-odd tournaments. Uh, you played in the Ryder Cup, obviously. You won, two, you won the Portuguese Open. You won two that year, did you? Yeah, I won the Portuguese uh, Open, the first event of the year. That's right, yeah. Then I won the Portuguese Open. And well, yeah, obviously, Ryder Cup, yeah, and stuff like that. And I and played side glass, and yeah, Daniel Cup, and yeah, fifth in the US PGA. I think I was um, for that for that one season. I was on the stats on the world rankings. I was the eleventh best player. I didn't look that. One of my friends told me that. Right. Yeah. So around the world, I was the eleventh best player, which is great. Which is one, you know, saying I'm really proud. I was second in the order merit Seve. I was going to say, I've got that down. I mean, what an what an achievement that is. Like, you know, what Paul Way was the last guy on. And he, you know, we were talking about how Seve was a hero to a lot of people, including him, although he played in the Ryder Cup with him, partnered him. I mean, to finish second in the order of merit when Seve was in his prime, that must have given you some confidence. Boy, yeah. I mean, that's some going, that is. Well, I, I, was, I was leading the order of merit for a while, and then um, Seve won the PGA and the Dunhill back-to-back weeks and pretty much sewed it up. You know, it was all over after that. Yeah. yeah but, but, yeah, he was a god, wasn't he, Seve? He's amazing. Oh, yeah. 
Yeah, but the charisma, everything about him, the way he looked, you know, he, he had everything. Then he said he's just different class. You know, people like him are, are heroes growing up. When they him, for me, Tom Watson, Greg Norman were the top three for me. Yeah, yeah. No, he was he was a just a fantastic player and a, and a really good guy as well. So in that same year, I've got it. I remember you saying, how many events did you play that year? I think I played, and I wouldn't never do it again. I played forty in ninety one and forty two in ninety two. Wow. And I don't know, obviously, I don't think that was a good thing now in hindsight. No. Maybe Burmese. But the only good thing I could say was I was, play, I was playing my best golf and got as many tournaments in as possible so you can make as much money and, well, and experience but, yeah. great things that go with it. But I, I had a patch where I was getting invited to so many good things yeah. around the world. I was invited to the USA a lot. Yeah. I was invited to Australia, South Africa, and I took advantage of most of it. Yeah. And you were the in, in a good way, you know, go and play. Yeah. You were the fastest man to a million pounds, weren't you, on the European Tour money? Yeah, game. I know. Yeah, I, I, that took me three and a half years. The boys can win that in one one tournament now, can't they? <laughs> 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 I had to rack some top tens and wins in there to, to get that back in the days. But. And in that 91 season, I remember you saying to me, so you had two wins, and how many top tens did you have? I think I had about 13, 14, but then I went to Australia, I had three top tens as well. So I was absolutely, I had chances to win the Aussie Open, the PGA, I led with the round to go. Wow. Um, shot off the lead with Roger Davis in the Australian Open in 91. Yeah. I had a top, a top five at the USPGA, Crooked Stick, where John Daly won amazingly. That was the way he travelled through, no yeah. practice round, and absolutely That's destroyed fun. the field. Yeah. So that was 91, so, and 91, the highlight or the, would the highlight be the Ryder Cup? Looking back at it, playing in it, I obviously... Not at the time, no. Yeah, because I, I, I thought, you know, what am I doing here? I don't need this pressure. I've had a great year and I, I felt a little bit uncomfortable. And that's what I realised about our players. You must embrace it, everything about it, and you must give your heart and your soul to the Ryder Cup. Yeah. And I, I left about 5% out and that, that was expensive because I, I won two out of four. And I think if I'd given 100%, I'd have won at least three and maybe four out of four because I was playing so good back then. Yeah. So moving on from that, so Paul Way, as I said, was the last person on here. And he, he asked me to ask you, you know, you lost the Ryder Cup by a point and you lost your match to, uh, to Corey Pavin. Corey Pavin, yeah. I yeah. was actually going to ask you this question as well, because you've told, you know, you've told this story a few times later, late at night in a bar. But what was it actually like to play against Corey Pavin, who was a lot smaller than you? And he yeah. wore those hats. And was he a nice guy to play against, or was he a trifle? No, not, was he, no, was not he... in the singles. The, the thing no, about no, the Rico, Cup, Rico, not, Rico, I, hey, I, I've just got to carry on with the questions. Wait, wait, Tommy, I've got to exaggerate this. Was he, uh, was he a friendly person to play against, and did you enjoy the match? And uh, what was he? Uh, no, no, no. <laughs> it still, it's, it still haunts me to this day. No, it doesn't really. But he's, um, he was hectic. He was all over the place. He used to crowd. He used a little bit of gamesmanship. He put loads of energy on me, which I allowed and didn't sort of push any back onto him. And um, having said that, I admired his skill. He, he couldn't strike it at all. He's an awful striker, but he could fade it. He could draw it. He could change his ball flight up. He had so much skill, the boy. Yeah. And an unbelievable putter. That's how he, he won a couple of times. Say, for example, I was 15 foot. He was 12 foot. I'd miss he'd hole. And that was the difference at the end of the day. Mm-hmm. But it was it was a very hectic match, and I f- you feel lonely when you come to the singles. You know, you were your team, you've got a partner, and suddenly you're out there in that amazing, heightened, wild atmosphere, 
and you think, oh, you know, I've, I've, I, feel a bit, I feel a bit on my own, you know, I'm with my caddy, but mm. it's not like a normal tournament. It's just such a wild, the crowds, that was the first one that got really nasty. Yeah. And the energy is incredible, really. The, you know, people shouting and screaming and going wild and all the oh. rest of it. But, but what I wish I'd done with Corey is, is giving him back a little bit of his end. What he was doing, he was fisting the air, pumped up, using the crowd, you know, getting very vibrant, obviously at home. He hadn't won a point at that, at that stage. And then he... Once he won a point off me, he was an absolute thorn in our side of our team, wasn't he? The things he did, chipping in, yeah. pitching in, winning point, you know, a tremendous player. Mm. But I, did, I didn't enjoy I didn't enjoy playing against him. I didn't like him at the time. Right. I, I played golf with him a couple of times afterwards and, you know, friendly. He's, he's actually a nice guy, but during that week, he was very hectic. But then you, you play up, we played, uh, Mark James and myself played Mark Kalkovic and Corey in the four balls the first day. No one said good shot to anybody, you know, it was hectic. It was awful, really, in some ways. It's the first time I've ever experienced that with pros. Yeah. This is a courtesy thing. You at least say good shot to each other, don't you? Mm. No one was speaking. It was uh, it was a little bit strange in, in that front. But, you know, it's amazing. I love watching it. And I think what our boys are so good at now, they embrace it, just let it come on, and it's okay, isn't it? Yeah. yeah. And, I, you know, I saw some stuff from our superstars. They just give everything they've got 100%. And that's why I definitely I wanted to get back in '93 and play, and I came yeah. 14th in the list to make sure in '93 I gave 100% rather than '95. You know, Langer missed the six foot part of the Ryder Cup. Yeah, but probably me only giving 95% cost us winning the Ryder Cup. Mm. Well, I didn't like to say that, but that's what Weiwei said. Yeah, yeah. Well, I know. I know, I know <laughs> no, I'm really kidding. Yeah, I'm really yeah. kidding. But scared. I was scared. I felt scared there. I felt uncomfortable. At the start of the week, a lot of our superstar players stood up and said, have you got any questions? And I was a bit shy about that. And I never, I never asked enough questions. Suddenly, the, you know, I couldn't believe what the crowd was like. It's like a football crowd. It's just wild and chaotic and screaming and shouting and, you know, stuff you're not used to, really. You walk from a green to a tee and you felt like you're getting bombarded by people. They're shouting at the top of their voice, come on, or they're shouting for their player. You know, it's like, you know, what's going on? This is, this is incredible. Yeah, I remember an amazing experience afterwards when I look back on it. Yeah. The best and the, the players I was with as well. You know, some of our absolute superstar players. Yeah. Couldn't get any better, could we, than some of the guys that are playing in that team. We had an amazing time then. We had a great team, didn't we? With, a, you know, with Seve, Langer, Woozy, uh, Nick Fowdo, Oli, Monty. That was his first one. Mm. You know, we should have beat them, really, I think, on paper, because, you know, we had the best, best team in a lot of ways. Yeah, but I remember watching it on TV, and it was a, it was an amazing ride. It cut the war on the shore, as it were, wasn't it? And they all, you know, they wore those caps, didn't they? And yeah, it was yeah. The time. And it was it, it almost got a bit, it, as you rightly say. I mean, I wasn't there, so I wouldn't know. But it just watching on TV, it looked kind of nasty in at, play, at, yeah. at times, you know. And it was J Rob. It tipped over. It got yeah. it got hectic, didn't it? Yeah, yeah. And then, and they, um, but they had a captain that was quite edgy because he. Um, I'm trying to think. Steve Pate injured himself in the limousine, but he played in the four balls. And then they, once the draw came out, they took Steve Pate out. Yeah. And it, it changed the dynamics of the draw because Seve was playing great. Yeah. Then ended up playing against Wayne Levy in the singles. Dave Guilford went in the envelope to come out with Steve Pate. Yeah. So that Wayne Levy, Levy was having a horror scene and Seve was playing great. So our best player went against their worst player. So I think that made a big difference as well. Yeah, Dave stopped him. They should, they should they should have withdrawn him before the single, shouldn't they? Obviously, yeah, yeah rather than wait till the draw to come out and then do that. Yeah, I remember. But that. we had the momentum. We I think we won three one in the in the afternoon four balls to to make it all square going into the singles. 
Mm-hmm. Yeah, I remember talking to Gilly about it. It's obviously it was a you know. Yeah. I mean, he still says to this day, you know, it's just such a regret that he he didn't get to play in that uh, in that single. Dave Stockton was the captain, wasn't he? That's right. Yeah. Yeah. It was. It was. You know, not a nice guy, but he was. Um. He was. He was playing. He was think he was on the edge because. At one point, he, I think he could listen into our walkie-talkies the first couple of days in practice and things, but and that's what Bernie Gallagher said to us, so he obviously put a stop to that. But yeah. Again, nice guys. The American guys, they love winning, don't they? Once they've lost a few times, they don't like it. So, But it did get a they're, bit... They're great winners, aren't they, the American? Yeah. But the Ryder Cup was getting a bit nasty, wasn't it? Because then there was the Brooklyn one, wasn't there? And they're all running on the green, and in the end, yeah. they kind of yeah. down a little bit, didn't they? Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, it's still, it's still wild. Our, our players are very animated now, just like the American players. So it's pretty even, isn't it? Yeah. When when I played in that one, we were all a bit more decorum and calm, and a few guys were going wild. Where all the players go wild now. It's great to watch. Oh yeah, must, must watch TV. You know, it's one of the few things I'll sit there three days and watch nearly all the golf. Oh yeah, without doubt. I mean, it's it's a great uh, it's a great spectacle, even if you're not a golfer. I mean, we're golfers, so we like watching it. But I think non-golfers like watching the Ryder Cup as well because it's a team event, isn't it? Yeah. You know. Oh I yeah. Think, I think that's what draws people to watching it. But it is a great, great spectacle now. There's no doubt about it. Oh yeah. Well, it's one of the biggest things in golf, isn't it? Yeah. You know, yeah. It must it must go around the world, I presume. Yeah, no, it's fantastic. It so, so looking yeah. back at it, you know, when you when you hang your clubs up for good and you sat in the armchair. Uh, a great experience all around, obviously. To, as you rightly say, to have played in that team with those players, Seve and Langer and Faldo and Wuzzi and the Monty and the people who kind of built the European tour, didn't they, player-wise? Yeah. yeah the, the good thing, we were able to keep those guys. Well, they played on our tour. Yeah. Whereas now, obviously, all the best players go to the PJ tour, which is a shame, isn't it? We've lost them to an extent. Mm-hmm. And they come back for guest appearances where we need we in our day we kept these boys and it made our tour. We we probably had um in a way we had a golden time to make our tour massive, wouldn't we, with those players if we could have mm-hmm. commercially and everything. Mm-hmm. Um we yeah, nearly yeah. called the PGA tour up, but they've now gone to another level. It's incredible what they do in world golf. Oh, and, yeah. like, and a grip they've got on the sport. They've got all the best players in the world playing on their tour. Yeah, could ask them all. Could you really? Yeah, no, yeah. No, Tiger, no. The Tiger Woods effect was massive as well, as we know. But as he you took rightly, the sponsorship at another level. But as you rightly say, though, they, those players, you know, they they helped with the European Tour, but they also helped to make the Ryder Cup so big, and they won it so many times. And now the Americans, you know, the Americans, they obviously won the last one, and they could win the next two or three. But you know, they had a, a lean patch with the Ryder Cup, and it was because of those kind of players, really. And then the likes of Poulter and Westwood took it on from there, didn't they? Yeah, well, I think our guys were captains, weren't they? They, they yeah. all, all became captains and they're great at it and their passion and the heart and soul and the fight and it meant so much to them to win. I think at, at one point, the Americans, they could leave it or take it. It was okay. But then we started winning and obviously they, they start wanting to come back stronger. But that last team they had in, um, in the US was unbelievable, wasn't it? Oh, yeah. And the way they played and obviously we didn't have any fans and mm. that was quite hectic for our players. That was something else. But we took a trounce in, as you said, I think we could we could be in trouble for the next couple yeah, of things. Possibly, but they keep so- putting those teams. But you yeah, but home home advantage is obviously yeah. big, isn't it? I mean, you know, they were they were favourite, they were going to win at Paris National, weren't they? Their great team they brought yeah. over and everything. And in the end they got absolutely stuffed at Paris National, didn't they? Well, well, yeah, I, I told my mates, I said, get your money on the USA. Well, I yeah. thought that's it. But stuffers beat us easily at uh, Paris National, and our boys were amazing, weren't they? Yeah. They Especially the first day, didn't go to plan, obviously. And then after that, 
yeah. were absolutely unstoppable, weren't we? Yeah, yeah. So, so yeah. So overall, a great, uh, a great experience for you. And then, along with playing in the um, in the Ryder Cup, you represented England twice in the World Cup, and you won the Daniel Cup at St Andrews playing for England. Yeah, well, I was in the team with Spencey and Gilly, yeah. and we beat the US. We qualified. Luckily, we lost the, our last game to Spain but got through on the point system. And then we played the US in the semi-finals and I beat um, Davis Love. Oh, wow. And then, um, and Gilly beat Fred Couples in front of me. So <laughs> that was good. And we got in the final, we beat Scotland. We beat uh, Monty, Sandy Law, and I, I beat Gordon Brown Jr. Right. I was about six under and then knocked out of bounds on that 14th par five. I hit one of the pillars on the wall. Right. Ricocheted out. Obviously it was going to draw back in. I think it was probably sliding out. <laughs> yeah. And then I, I managed to beat Gordy. So that was great to win that. Amazing yeah. experience. Yeah. Uh, but we didn't, we were only young, young Englishmen. We didn't get that much publicity for that. I thought we should have got a bit more, really. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But a great, I yeah. say, another great thing to, you know, you look at the pictures to win a tournament at St. Andrew, at St. Andrews must be such a thrill. Yeah. Oh, yeah. That was amazing. Yeah. Because my, my dad's mum and dad are from St. Andrews. Oh, right. So I've got a lot, I've got a lot of family up there. They're Scottish. Yeah. So, yeah. Yeah, it was, it was lovely to be up there. My, I think um, a lot of my cousins were there. A bit difficult for them. They had to, to um, cheer for England and obviously they're Scots and we're playing Scotland in the finals. Probably, probably the only time in their life they've cheered for England, I'd have thought. Yeah, yeah. But I say two two um two World Cups for England. Where where were they played at? Uh played with Fat Nick Fowler in Italy, Rome. Can't remember the name of the course. Yeah. And typical of my luck, I beat him in the, the individual. How many times a year would you beat Nick Fowler? <laughs> the stroke player. And then I've, I've got him as a partner and I scored it better than him. So it just about sums my luck. And I partnered Gilly, Dave Guildford at Moraleca near Madrid. Okay, yeah, yeah. They built, they built a course on a recycling plant, didn't they? It's a good course. Yeah, yeah. Had couples and love won both of those, I think. Did they? Right. They, they dominated the World Cup for a little while, didn't they? Those two, they come over, they're such great players. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The, the best two hitters I've ever seen, those two strikers. Yeah. They could hit with so much power and they could bring the long irons out of the clouds and you know, stop it next to the, the tight pins. When you, you go to the US and play, the pins are so tough. Mm. I know you played a lot of college golf over there, didn't you? So I was going to say, and they're, they're so used to it. They're so used to it over water and yeah. tough shots over ravines and things like that. We weren't quite so used to that sort of feeling, you know, with the pin cut on the extreme edge of the green over water and all these sort of things. Mm. I remember watching, seeing Davis Love when I first went to college. He was, I, he's probably be about 58, 59, Davis Love, would he? Bit older. Yeah, yeah. Nice guy as well. Very gentle, very, very calm. Yeah, first college tournament I played in, I, I remember playing behind him and I thought he, he just, I mean, he looked amazing. Great player. Yeah. What, what a great career he's had. Yeah. So moving on, so you, German Masters as well, was that 1992? That was that was 93, that was. 93, okay. That was, that was the week after the Ryder Cup where we, we lost at the Belfry and that, they, they had a lot of their team played in that. So pretty much both Ryder Cup teams were there, which was good. Tom Watson, my hero, was playing. Right. So I won that. I beat a great field. Yeah, that was that yeah. was my best win comfortably with the standard of field. You got guys like Ernie Els, Goose, Retief Goose and playing. Yeah. And loads of loads of top boys, all the best European players. So that was that was a big win, that one. Okay. Obviously it was a highly ranked event. It was good prize money as well back then. Yeah. Got hundred thousand first first place. There's a lot of cash back in. Yeah, back yeah. In those. It was a big yeah. tournament as Bernard Langer's brother used to promote it, didn't he? That's right, Owen. Yeah, Owen. Yeah, yeah. and I remember it being a, a big tournament. So that was some field you beat then. Then, if there was uh, those kind of players playing, yeah, 
because it, it was the weather was terrible and it chucked it down in the evening. I thought it'd be cancelled the last round, but yeah, um, I think because Bernard Langer was only a couple of shots behind, they moved a couple of tees forward, turned them into par three, so we could get round. <laughs> so I, I partnered him. That was it. Was great to win playing against him as well. You know, yeah. one of uh, the legends of our tour and still an absolute legend on the Champions Tour. Oh, just, I mean, talk about amazing, amazing feat. I mean, the bloke's 64 years old now, I think he is. And, you know, he still just plays so well, doesn't he? You know, so. Oh, incredible. Yeah, he's just got an, an unbelievable drive just to keep on going. You can't see him stopping either. He just keeps no, on don't. playing. What, what, I mean, why does he want to, you know, 64 still travel around the world, not yeah. around the world, but America's a massive country, you know, all over the place and, yeah. Still winning tournaments, still be competitive, still practice, still work out. He looks as fit as a fiddle still. Yeah, he does. Incredible, yeah. isn't it? Yeah, he he's got... His face looks a bit older, but his body looks just the same, doesn't it? When you, yeah, amazing, you him, amazing. You can see why he's been so good over the years because you know, amazing ambition, as you say, just to keep on doing it. Now at sixty-four, you'd think he'd want to be just like rocking up to the country club and sitting in the locker room, yeah, having a, having a roll up with his friends, yeah, yeah shooting the breeze, having a game. Because he likes to play cards, doesn't he? Having a couple yeah. of games of cards after golf or something, yeah. Well, you'd say you'd think that. But anyway, you know, fair play yeah. to him. So, so oh, legend. 1993 German Masters win. After that, the form started to slightly dip. And why Why do you think that happened? Because obviously you were so good. You, you became similar to Weiwei, to be honest, you know. Yeah. He became very, very good. He was second youngest player playing the Ryder Cup, et cetera, et cetera. And you became very, very good. I wouldn't say very quickly, but you you carried on going from your amateur career to your pro career seamlessly, just moved on. Why do you think it started to kind of go off? Talking about longevity in a career. Yeah. Um, I didn't... I don't... Yeah, in hindsight, I'd have done more flexibility. I think I lost a bit of flexibility. Um, my swing changed a little bit. Like anybody, it evolves. Because when you play your best golf, you just stick with that. But as we know, you can't. That's why you go through phases of great golf and okay golf and bad golf. Mm. So my swing changed and I, and I just lost my way a bit technically. I thought I got the club behind myself. But all I did was I was very fast from the lower half and shallowed out at the top and kept the club in front of myself. Mm. So I kept working on getting it more behind and I made it steeper in a lot of ways. So I was, I was always trying to jam my swing in and hit it from the inside. So then I was getting less body turn, more, more hands. Yeah. And I, but my, my super confidence kept me okay for two years. I was still okay. I can't remember 70 odd or 60 odd in the order merit. And then eventually that went away and then I just fell off a cliff. And then I got coaching of various guys and they told me exactly the right things to do. You know, but I, I started feeling my backswing and that was the end really. So that, my whole golf, I never felt my backswing until I started getting serious coaching, you know, flattening my swing off and things like that. Then I could feel my backswing mm. and then I couldn't hit the ball at all. And then I got very conscious and very feely. The game for me was always about the downswing. Yeah. You know, because I had my upright swing across the line, but then I'd go really fast with my hips and legs. That's all I really needed to do to get it back. I think because I got fatter, less flexible. I've got a bit slow in my legs and hips. So I was coming in a bit steeper. So I thought, jam it in behind, get it more shallow, come from the inside. But I didn't really swing like that. And that, that, that's the top and bottom of it. And then once you lose technique, confidence goes eventually. Yeah. And then off I went. And then I went into some dark times, really, playing golf. Managed to go back to tour school, got through three times, um, but played rubbish. And then eventually I lost my card. And in, in a lot of ways, I was glad it was all over because it was starting to hurt a lot struggling 
and not missing cuts as as we know is an absolute nightmare as a tour yeah. pro yeah yeah so he was hurting yeah. a bit physically or mentally or both uh, both everything really yeah maybe not physically so much but mentally it, it hurt you know I had, to, I had some dark times away from tour because we always think about golf all the time yeah 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 but, you know it was, it was okay you know it's part of the sport you know it's, it's never plain sailing when you're playing great yeah. you have ups and downs don't you yeah yeah I mean that's the thing I mean I was used to say you know the thing about being a, a tour player you know it's all very well missing the cut people think oh you go home and have the weekend off or when you miss the cut you just want to work harder don't you yeah, you go and practice. Yeah, and, so, yeah. and sometimes you work too hard. You know, mm. something, something I wish I hadn't done was I practiced more and more when I was playing bad. Mm. I wish I practiced more and more when I was playing great. Yeah. The opposite way around. Yeah, but it's... and I was and I was trying to flatten my swing off, which was fine. It was technically the right thing, but it just didn't suit me. Yeah, I, I never quite. I've, I never. My mind never went to. When you change, you must take your mind with it. You know, if you're going to change your swing, you've got to. Your mind's got to be invested, and my mind wasn't invested. It was still still wanted to be upright and fast moving and mm. hit the ball hard. Mm. So it didn't suit me in a lot of ways. But I'm not. I don't blame anyone. It's, it was me that messed it up. So I just wish it lasts for eight years instead of four. You know, the brilliant golf, and that would have been great. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The excitement and the buzz. You know, I missed that. The, the thing I missed the most was being able to hit the ball good. Yeah. Even if I was playing socially, such a wonderful feeling hitting the ball good, and even going out and shooting a good score and ripping it. And, Mm. hitting great shots and mm. you know that's why I always played the game to it the, the excitement of that was the, and the best time of my life was when I kept improving as, as you know as you're coming you're young you're coming up and you start getting better and better there's no better feeling than that in golf is there no no well I think in all sports isn't it I mean you know the greatest sports people are always trying to even when they're getting a bit older they're always trying to find something aren't they yeah they're always trying to improve and I think yeah. that's what you must do yeah maybe, maybe when I went maybe after you know, after four years of playing great golf, I, I didn't keep, didn't think about improving. I thought this is okay. Just keep it going. Yeah. Yeah. But, but my way of improving would be to get technical coaching. And that was no good for me. You know, my dad worked on fundamentals. Yeah. Good posture, good grip. But, you know, even though I strengthened my grip up a bit, so I'm guaranteed not losing it down the right, you know, so hook, a bad shot was a hook for me. Mm. That was Stuff absolutely like that. That was the I, didn't, I didn't believe in coaching too much. I used to look at, remember in the early days, I used to think the boys practice too much on a Wednesday. They're having too much coaching on a Wednesday. I used to believe in that. Mm-hmm. I think that, you know, that if you're getting coaching at a tournament on a Wednesday, it's too late, isn't it? Well, I mean... In some getting, ways. Yeah, if you're getting coaching on a Wednesday, you're, you're struggling with your game, aren't you? Because if you're playing well, you don't want to be hearing someone telling you, you know, you should trying to do this, trying to do that. It's just a waste of time. And yeah. it? it's just put self-doubt in your mind that they that oh, the yeah, think yeah. something's wrong, don't they? Yeah. You'd, you'd have thought a great coach is um, a guy that some weeks is swinging great and leaves it at that. Yeah. Yeah. Even if he doesn't. He's on, got, a, got, no. on a Wednesday, even if he doesn't think that. It's going yeah, back yeah. to the end of them, trying to give confidence, really, isn't it? So, oh, 100%. So just, just going on from that, so when you look back over your career, which, you know, you're still playing on the Seniors Tour now, and, and, and I know, you you know, you still love the game, and you're always, you're, I mean, I've seen you at tournaments, and we've we've spoken, and we're, everybody's always trying to <laughs> trying to play better, aren't they? And, you know, yeah, oh, yeah. But I, overall, would you have done anything differently in your career? I'm just really kind of trying to establish if there were some young guys kind of listening you know you obviously had four or five great years you played with the best players in the world overall would you have done anything different clearly you wouldn't have done much different from like 1989 to 1993 would you no all all, all we didn't really have the cameras the slow-mo cameras and things did we and the coaching was different back then it was a lot on feel wasn't it ball flight yeah 
Um, I, I just didn't get a blueprint and always go back to it. You know what your best swing is. You know, video your, your golf and everything when you're at your best mm. and always attempt to work back to it. I know you change physically. We all do. And it's not so easy to to go back to your blueprint. Mm. Sometimes you have to adapt because you get a bit slower or you're not as strong. But having said that, the boys that work out so much now, we didn't do so much of that in, in our day, did we? It was a Tuesday night, go to the bar and Wednesday, yeah. have a good practice session and then and Thursday I, I, away we go. I think what, what, not only in golf, but with all sports, that's why the careers going back to Langham, that's why the careers are getting longer, isn't it? Because the nutrition, yeah. the fitness, I mean, there wasn't, when we started, there wasn't a physio truck on tour, was there? And no, it was, Lang it was Langer who got that, wasn't it? For, yeah, for the it was. tour. Yeah, and they've got... And it, it's no coincidence that he's still going amazingly well and he's yeah. always done physio, he's always kept himself in great shape. Yeah. That, that'd be the things I would change was no more blueprint technique-wise. Yeah. Stay fitter, stay... And do things like yoga or Pilates or something, keep yourself flexible. Yeah, because I mean... You you know, look I, I do a bit of stretching now, but it, everything aches now, Jay. <laughs> it's just a case of getting it, getting to a point where I can move a bit. You know, I've got aches and pains like any golfer. We've worn our bodies out to an well, extent. Yeah. We've I played since we're little boys and we're still, we're still going at 55, aren't we, type thing? Yeah. yeah, I mean, that was the thing. I stopped playing because my back was so bad at, at 36 and that. And I was saying to... Uh, on, on the previous show with Linny, you know, one of the things that made my back hurt when I was practicing and I couldn't practice much was ironically was putting because it's such an unusual position just yeah. to stand there, you know, bending from the waist over and, you know, the physios and that tell you, or people should tell you, you know, you should never stand like that, stand, you know, more athletically. Putting is not a good, um, not a good posture for your back, but hey ho, so there you go. So, so just a couple of other questions, really. First of all, uh, your, I've asked the other two boys so far, your views, you, I mean, you mentioned Greg Norman earlier, um, being one of your heroes. What's your kind of views on what he's trying to do? Well, yeah, what he's trying to do with the, the investment from the Saudi Arabians and trying to create a new golf league. Do you think there's room for it? Or do you think the PGA Tour are right in trying to block this? Or just briefly, what's your views on it? I, I think it's great that the players have got the opportunity to earn that money. I don't think the PGA Tour should have a vice-like grip on the sport. I believe in modern times the players should be free agents. If they want to go and travel and play somewhere else, they should be allowed to do it. I understand why the tours do it and they want to keep their best players. It's like the European Tour. We need to keep our best players. Um, I think it's good for golf. And, it, and I love to, the fact that lots of our boys are making loads of money. Mm. That would be great if we had lots of guys worth hundreds of millions billionaire golfers mm. why not you know it's our sport and it's great to see the young players making fortunes so, so i think i think it's a positive on that front hopefully it does take off eventually and it gives people options and things like that but the way it's heading at the moment it looks like it's going to struggle yeah i mean i i think that you know as you say the pj tour have had a grip on golf and, and you know there's three majors in america the world championship events they're all kind of in america and, you know, if they start creating some big events, you know, they tried the President's Cup's been to Australia and South Africa a couple of times. Yeah. But never really taken off these big events. And, you know, tennis has a, a, their majors are around the world where it just seems like everything is in America golf. And I personally think it's a good thing. As long as it doesn't degrade the majors and the big events, I think there's room and it gives more people more chance to make a name for themselves. Oh, 100% right. Yeah. And the... the the thing, obviously, it's aimed at the stars of the game. 
Yeah. So it's aimed at the top 30 players in the world, isn't it? it, it That's their aim is to get hold of those guys. Yeah, but it will help the lower tournaments, you know, escalate into becoming bigger tournaments. And it gives more. And there's there's so many more people trying to make a living at playing golf these days. And the more chances, the more opportunities, surely it's a good thing for the game. That's my view on it. And, and hopefully, like you say, a load of the money will trickle down to the Challenge Tour, to the smaller smaller tours, yeah, exactly. and help those guys. Because it's yeah. not, there's a lot of guys out there battling. Everyone thinks pro golf's a, a gravy train. You make loads of money, but it's not. There's a lot of guys really struggling, fighting hard, trying to make a living, trying to get on the tours. Yeah. And it'd be great if a lot of this money was filtered down. Mm. And, and a lot of those guys are very, very good players. And... Because the strength and depth in the in golf these days is so high, but also you know they're very very hard workers as well. Going back to practicing, yeah. that people say, oh, well, because he's not doing any good, he clearly you know he's not practicing enough or whatever. But some of the yeah. people who don't do quite as well work harder than anybody, don't they? They just don't have yeah. that sort of natural talent that some players have. I mean, there's no doubt you need some hand-eye coordination and you need a bit of talent to make it right to the top. Yeah, as we know, most of golf's application. Yeah. But there are some guys who've got more flair, you know, they've got better pair of hands, they can do yeah. things that other guys can't do. And they're they're often the special players. Yeah. And everyone's saying. gifted with that. But we've we've seen some great workhorse golfers have amazing careers. Mm. You know, there's guys I used to think I was so much better than and they've gone way past me without yeah. I'm just, yeah. but also you would also when we were playing as amateurs and when we started, you'd also see some some people who used to work so hard and never got on tour. Yeah, well, you, you used to practice hard, didn't you? Yeah, yeah but uh, I mean... You're I a great putter as well. That was, that was one thing. You were always hitting balls and practicing. I used to love playing more. I would yeah. practice, but yeah. that's something you rub off think, well, maybe I need to go and hit some more balls like J-Rob and some of the other lads who are better players than me. So you learn, don't you think? Yeah, yeah. Well, I'll put an extra an hour in on the, on the range rather than do my half an hour warm-up. I'll but practice I'm... for an hour and a half and hone my skills and then... I used to get one Walkman on and, you know, listen to music and hit balls and psychologists say it's not the best thing to do. But I used to get, you know, love doing stuff like that and that made time pass. All of a sudden, you've been out there for an hour, or two hours and it's a, it's a good session. Yeah, yeah. But I, the other thing, the point, the other point I was kind of making was, and I won't name any names at all, but you would know some of the people as well. You know, some of the guys, you know, they, they practice all day and they do everything possible to be better players. But yeah, they just didn't become better players, and that was just it's too much. Mu- it's too much. It's about quality, isn't it? And yeah. you've got to preserve your body. Yeah, especially as a tour pro, and you start traveling, playing a lot. You can't be smashing balls non-stop. Mm. But I, I think you know, you've got to keep fresh. You, at some point, it's a warm-up, isn't it? You're going the first, once the first round comes. It's a warm-up. You might do an hour afterwards if you're not happy, or half an hour. Mm. And then Friday's the same. Saturday's the same. You're just warming up for the round. You've done mm. all the hard work at home months before if you if your hard work's going on a wednesday i think you're in trouble as a tour pro mm. but I, I think as well it's interesting what you say about when you were playing your best the confidence you had you know and like the inner belief you had dave lynn was the yeah. same he was saying how he worked a lot with john dr john you remember dr. yeah john? yeah i saw i saw dr john for a yeah, little while so yeah, it's, good. yeah it's interesting that and, and lee said he was a bit of a diy man he never really had any coaching but both of you, you know, the thing that's come out of it is, is about the mental side of the game is obviously so important, or was so important, especially when you get to the top level. Yeah, and I, I think it's, it's important to be resilient. Every, you're just learning all the time. That You learn as much from the downs as you do the ups. Yeah, definitely. And it's, and it's okay. Whatever, whatever happens to you in the sport, it's okay. As long as you go with a positive attitude yeah. 
and a good pre-shot routine, the outcome is fine. If you do if you do everything right and it goes wrong, it's okay. It's when your mind's negative, yeah, tight, and you hit a bad shot. That's when it really hurts. Mm. I've never, I've never, I've always been fine. If I've gone up to a shot, I'm going to hit a great shot. I'm going to hit it hard. I've picked my target. I'm going to do whatever I want. And if it doesn't work, it's cool. But it's it's when you feel all tight and tense and nervous yeah. and scared. Don't go out of bounds. Don't do this. Do that. That's when you're gone at the game. It's an awful feeling. Yeah. Well, it's I, time I, to it's time to stop playing when you think like that. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I was used to think, you know, and I I say to you know a couple of young people, whatever, you know, if you're going to hit a bad shot, at least commit to hit a bad shot. You know, yeah, commit, commitment yeah. to every shot. You know, if you hit a bad shot, but you've committed to the shot you were trying to do, that's fine. And always, it, always ask for wonderful things. I, I used to big it up, like make it of exciting fireworks. I, I remember one time in Italy um, when Richard Boxer won the Italian Open 1990. I hit every single drive out in the middle of the club and down the fair. The only time I've done it in my life. Mm. And I was walking back to the tee sometimes, so pumped up. I was saying, I'm going to smoke this down. I'm going to unbelievable draw. I'm going to rip this. Mm. And then I got on the tee and I just swung smooth at it and it went down the middle like an absolute exocet rocket. Yeah. Unbelievable. Mm, mm, yeah. It's the only time I've ever ever driven like that in my life. But it was, it was, I was getting euphoric walking back to the tees <laughs> as, as it was going on. I was thinking, this is unbelievable. You know, I can't believe how good this is. This is special. Yeah. Yeah. And it was all, you know, that's controlled by your positive mental attitude. Yeah. That was my, that was my vivid, excited, adrenaline mind with a calm body all the time. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. But I used to suggest amazing things. I'll roll this putt and I'll bury the next three holes. And, yeah, it didn't yeah. happen all the time, but I used to chuck things like that in all the time. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Now make this 10 foot for a par and I'm going to catch fire. I'm going to do amazing things and yeah, yeah. suggestion. But then, as we know, you always come back, back, back to the shot, don't you? You know, as you walk up, yeah. you switch on to that, that given shot. Yeah, well, that's a great thing. As I was saying before, you know, there's a lot of dead time in golf, as I would call it, you know, when you're yeah. bad in there and your mind can play tricks on you. You know, yeah. you great, you great images, as you rightly say. But one of the, the keys to it is keeping those great images and not going too, yeah, starts, having bad thoughts. Yeah, I um, when I when I started struggling, I became a self saboteur. Really, I'd suggest bad things to myself as time went on. Yeah, and I didn't do any of that for from for probably when I started golf till I was thirty, sort of thing late twenties. Yeah. yeah. Then I would chuck, I'd chuck things on. You're going to knock it out of bounds here as I'm walking back to the tee. You know, it went total full circle on me. Yeah. 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 And that's where a good, yeah, I was okay when I got over the ball, it was out there, but once you start putting these powerful things in your head, I can't, I'm not a good visualizer. I feel everything and verbalize it. So I talk in my head mm. and feel golf. I can't actually see too much of the ball flying or anything. Yeah. So whatever I said to myself was very powerful when I was mm. playing golf. Yeah. 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 I tell you what, it's so windy outside at the moment. You'd have to be uh, strong in the head today. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. To that's, that's when you've got to be resilient. Keep fight. Tell yourself you love being out in these conditions, Joe. Yeah. Love, isn't it? Yeah. Even though you know you know you're selling lies to yourself. Yeah, yeah. These yeah. these greens are the best I've ever putted on the Gary Player scenario. Best of yeah. their kind. Yeah, yeah. You've yeah. Got to, it's, it's a lot of mind games goes on, isn't there? <laughs> Without doubt. Yeah, as long. Yeah, yeah. Right, so the next thing, just to move on from that, a couple of quick-fire questions. So you've got to keep the answers short here. So, yeah. ready? favourite course you've ever played? Sunningdale Old. Nice, nice. Uh, the favourite major championship that you played in, which one was it? Uh, Augusta. The uh, Masters. Ma uh, Masters, okay. So you made the cut in all four majors. Which was the best round of golf you played in a major? 
Uh, it was probably in 92. I shot 66, second round at the USPGA, playing with Nick Pride. Where was that at? Uh, Bel- Eve. Right. That was that was my lowest score and probably the best I ever played. Yeah, okay. And that was playing with Nick Price, was it? Nick Price, yeah. We played with Ken Green, and I know you're on quick fire. And we played we played nine holes, and he was about three over. He said, I've enough lads, I'm going in. <laughs> he just walked off the course. Two holes later, an official comes out. What happened to Ken? Where's he gone? He didn't tell anyone. He just jumped in his car and, and drove home. Seriously? Or drove back to the airport. Yeah. Did he? But, yeah, uh, so I played the two ball with Nick Price for, uh, so what, 27 holes sort of thing. Just, I know it's only quick five, but just moving on. Nick Nick Price, what a striker of the ball he was. Yeah, great compressor, great noise. Yeah, yeah I played quite a bit. I lost to him in the World Match Club. I played with him at PGA, played with him in Zimbabwe. Yeah. Great man, lovely man as well, top boy. Yeah, yeah I remember watching yeah. him practice at Lake Nona when he was uh, having coaching with David Ledbetter and I was there and i just finished at college and, I mean, what what a striker of the ball he was. Oh, yeah. And another one from his mate, Mark Minolte, at the ball short, but what a noise he made on the club yeah. as well. Yeah, but he yeah could, it might uh, have been not very powerful, but they had that compression on the ball. It was great. Yeah, but he could putt McNulty, couldn't he? Oh, unbelievable, <laughs> yeah. yeah. So, Nick Price was an incredible player for a while, wasn't he? World number uh, one. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, so the last yeah. quick fire one. So we didn't go, well, we've got two more quick fire. We weren't very quick fire on that one, but there you go. <laughs> Um, the best round of golf that you've ever witnessed when playing with someone in a tournament. Obviously, your your 66 is the best round of golf you've ever witnessed, but uh, if it was oh. from someone else, who would it be? Oh, God. That's how self-absorbed tour pros are. I can't, I can't remember too many. Um, Clearly, it wasn't Ken Green. I, played with, I, I didn't play with lots of guys. I'm trying to think guys that won that I played with. Frank Noblo shot a great round at the Lancome one time, about 66, 65. Mm. I partnered him in the last round. That was that was impressive. Yeah. Um, there must be better ones out there somewhere. I must have played with guys that shot an amazing scores. I'm trying to think. I'll have to come back to that one, mate, in the future. Okay. <laughs> and the final, final quick fire one. Uh, favorite city oh. you visited in the world when playing? Uh, Melbourne. Nice, very nice. Good answer to that one. So, so in summing up, thanks very much for coming on. It's been it's been fascinating listening to what you say about the mental side of the game, and you know you're moving so easily, really, from uh, amateur golf to pro golf, and Obviously, still you're playing the seniors tour, and I know you still love the game, and you, you know you, you just you're a bit like me, really. You'll carry on playing till the day we go. Yeah, I'll put, yeah, exactly, J Rob. Yeah, you know, the, the only time I stop is if I'm hitting a driver on a 180 yard par three and can't reach. I, <laughs> I think I hang up, I'm going to hang them up in the garage then. Yeah, I, so I, that, I, don't, I don't ever want to go on the green tees. It's not for me that bit. I don't think. No, I don't, I, don't, I can't see that happening there in the next few years, mate. So, and so the. Uh, <laughs> What we've been doing, we've been kind of getting one or two the, the guests to uh, ask, pose a question for the next guys who are on. The next guy on is uh, not an ex-player, but an ex-coach, Gary Nichol, and his, his, uh, his pal Carl Morris. So if you were going to ask either of them a question, what would you like? What would you ask Gary? Because obviously Gary coached on the tour for quite a long time. Yeah. Can, can they take a seven-year-old young golfer and turn them into a world superstar? And how would they do it? Wow, there's a question for you. Yeah. Now, in answer, in answer to that one, I remember, and I can't remember the bloke's name, some guy came out on tour once with, uh, with Roger Winchester, our pal Winch, and he sat, and I'll never forget it, being in Madrid, and he sat there and he said, 
I can take a seven-year-old kid and I can make them win a major championship. And we all sat there and went, that's something. Exactly, yeah. That's why I thought that's an interesting question, seeing how how they would model the young player. Yeah, it's a very, very interesting question. Do you think it's possible or not? Uh, No, I think think golfers are born, aren't they? Yeah. The the real good ones, yeah. You've just got something slightly different. Maybe the way you think, maybe what you like physically, maybe with your touch and feel. Mm. And a lot of players have got so much bottle as well. I wasn't great with bottle. I had to sort of learn to have bottle. But some guys have got it in abundance naturally. Yeah. Yeah, because Linny was saying, uh, you know, he was saying about the mental side of it and going back to a seven-year-old kid, could you coach someone? I mean, Tiger Woods clearly was coached from a very young age to, to, be, to be great. And clearly he was great or is great and still is great and whatever, you, you can't say enough superlatives about him. But there must be thousands of, of kids around the world whose fathers have been a bit like that. The Venus Williams and Serena, that was another kind of one, wasn't it? But you and I... I watched saw... that film, that was good. The yeah. King Richard, really yeah. good, yeah. yeah, yeah. You, you and I saw it when we were amateurs. There was plenty of people, again, names would, won't be mentioned, where, where the fathers and the parents and coaches are kind of living the life through the 15, 16-year-old kids and that. I, I don't think it's possible, but the interest to see what... Carl Morris's view on that is because he's more of a yeah. psychologist. Uh, or... they, they could they could potentially do it if they get young junior golfers, those two together, couldn't they? A psychologist and, a, yeah. and Gary, a top coach. But they'd have to have a bit of luck to get the right one, wouldn't they? Oh, yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. How do you pick them out? It's not it's not always the guy who's the best player when he's 12, 14. It's, it's what you like anywhere between 19 and 23, really, as a golfer. Yeah, I mean, there's and some guys stop improving, and some get, keep getting better. Like a Lee Weston, for example, yeah. played in the England team. He obviously got better than a lot of his peers and became world number one. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So some yeah. people take yeah. to professional golf, don't they? And some don't. I mean, you, yeah, you overachievers and underachievers, don't you? Yeah, hundred percent right. Yeah, you know. So anyway, so that's interesting. So I'll ask um, I'll ask the boys that, and it'd be interesting to see what they're. Uh, well, their answer is to that. So just summing up, mate, thanks very much for coming on. It's been, as I say, it's been fascinating listening to, to your views and everything. And uh, so you've obviously recovered from Mauritius and got over the shock of being in the rain. Every- <laughs> 12 holes, yeah. Yeah, 12 holes. So, so, yeah, such um, a shame for the door, you know, yeah, for that yeah. to happen. But Yeah, but anyway, that, that's the way it goes. So anyway, but I say, thanks very much for coming on and I'll, I'll catch up with you soon. And if we don't, uh, if I don't see you before, the end of June, I'll see you at Blackwell for the Seniors Tour Pro-Am, supporting the Grace Kelly uh, Children's Trust. So, um, say thanks very much for coming on, and uh, we'll catch up soon. Thanks, Jay, Rob. It's a pleasure, mate. Cheers, Always mate. great to talk to you, buddy. Take care. Bye.